What's up, hybrids? Welcome back to another episode of the Phantom Hybrid Podcast. This is Hanako, and I am here with Mike, Anthony, and Lori, and we are discussing A Discovery of Witches, Episode 2. This episode got very interesting very quickly. Um, it started out, we, we were introduced to a new character, uh, who we find out later on, her name is Juliet, but she is, um, she's just sitting around in the streets, and she's watching tourists, and um, she hears you know, some dialogue between a girl, she's calling over a guy and the guy's name happens to be Matthew and her name, you know, her head kind of perks up. So we already know that she probably has some kind of connection to the Matthew that we were introduced to in the first episode. And, um, you know, she, she kind of flirts with this dude while he's there with his girlfriend, very bold of her, I will say. And, um, you know, she kind of lures him away and we find out that she is a vampire and that she apparently has some kind of obsession, I guess, with a Matthew. She she tells him that she knows someone, that she used to know someone named Matthew. And right after she says that, she attacks him and we find out that she's a vampire. And she basically, she kills this dude. And I'm like, wow, that's a interesting way to start an episode <laughs> like to introduce us to someone I mean just beautiful girl who when I watched the episode I was like oh I know her I recognize her from someone and it turns out she's the she's the waitress that Harry Potter stood up and Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince when Dumbledore whisked him away to Bully Babberton but yeah so she is introduced as a vamp and she seems to be a little batshit crazy and I'm like okay this is a good start I mean isn't that um I think Laura you called her crazy town yes yes it, it, it fits it does if if you see where her story arc is gonna go through the season yeah she's she's gonna be a handful for us but um so this already lets us know Matthew is he has a history, which of course we know he's vampire. We're pretty sure he has a history, but exactly what his history with is with this particular vampire is going to be interesting. You know, we moving on with her storyline. There's another character that we are introduced to in the episode named Domenico, and I guess he's probably I don't know if he's police or if he's like an investigator. But he goes to the morgue to inspect the body of this this tourist that Juliet has killed. And um, he finds out that the body has been drained of blood. There was no blood at the scene, which, okay, she did a thorough job. And um, then he finds out a little background about the, about the victim and finds out his name is Matthew. And, you know, he also has a moment of recognition. So there's like a connection there. And he immediately knows who it is that attacked this person. So he goes to Juliet's home and meets with her father who, I don't know, I got the, I kind of got the impression her father is supposed to be like important, you know? I think that, I think that, um, okay. First of all, I have no idea what's up with Domenico. At first I thought he was a vampire hunter. Then when he went to see them, I was like, okay, he's not there to kill them. He's there to let them know that he knows something's up. So I'm like, he's not really, so he's not a vampire either. He's so is he just like a really curious human or is he 
a demon. He's not a witch. I, I'm not. I'm not really sure what's up with him. But it's like once he went to go see Gerber, I think that the relationship is that he turned, that he turned Juliet, and that that he. I mean, maybe his the father is like a, is like a figurative term. Like he, like she sees him as a father figure because he turned her. I don't know. That's kind. Of, that's kind of that's, that's the impression that I got from that. I didn't think that he was like he he actually birthed her like as a live vampire. Cause I'm not sure yeah. that's even possible, really. So I think that he just that he turned her and that he just keeps her under thumb because, like Lori said, she's crazy town and she needs to be monitored constantly. So he's like, okay, say so, and and it gets mentioned that he he only lets her go out if she promises to be good, which make which shows that he that he knows that she's off kilter. So he's like, all right, I'm gonna have to keep you here unless you promise to not do any stupid shit. Then you can go out, but apparently she does stupid shit like killing somebody with a name that is that she is trained. That it, it seems like she's she was she was breeded not not breeded. That's the wrong word. Bred. She, she was no no not bred. That's or, not or, what, uh, that's not what I meant, honey. I know what you well, I, mean, I, I, mean, I, mean, I mean. I mean. I mean. She was. I, I understand what I understand that I, I I write I know I know bad English dang don't it okay so <laughs> I think I think she was not not even, not even trained but like it's, it's something in her subconscious to Molded. respond to respond to the name Matthew right and when she when she finds some when she hears the name is something triggers in her subconscious to actually act on it so it seems like I'm not sure what that is, but yeah, she's she's not so not so crazy, and she is going to be a problem probably. Well, it seems like um, so when Domenico has his conversation with um, I think what was his name Gellert Gerber. Okay, so when when he has the conversation, he basically goes there to snitch on Juliet, you know to say, this is what we found, this is what happened. And of course, regardless of whether he is a human that knows about vampires or whether he is also a vampire, you know, he knows that this is the kind of death or murder that will raise questions, raise eyebrows, raise suspicions. And so when Juliet is summoned and her father asks her about her whereabouts the night, you know, those two nights ago. And, um, you know, she basically tries to lie to him. She says that, you know, she didn't do anything that, you know, she wasn't behind the killing. Domenico has it out for her, which we don't know why that would be at this point, but he, what her father did does is he bites into her neck to gain access to her memories. And it's so it's so weird that he does that because I literally just watched um, Underworld the other night and that was the same thing Victor did to his daughter to uh, ascertain whether she was telling the truth. And so he sees um, her memories of the attack on the tourists and then he also sees memories of her um, having sex with the Matthew that we know. And, um, he gets angry and locks her up. And then she she makes the statement to him, you were the one who taught me to crave Matthew. And, you know, she's like upset. So 
obviously, I don't know what the connection is between her father and Matthew, but she was used, I'm guessing, as a pawn in whatever their little beef is. Um, one of the things I noticed earlier in the episode when um, we see Matthew uh, discussing Diana with a friend of his, and we'll get to that in a moment, he says to the friend that he is craving Diana. And just from his behavior throughout the episode, I kind of take the meaning of the word craving as in he is not only craving her as far as a snack, but he's also craving her like sexually. I, I think for, for vampires in this particular setting, that word craving kind of, th those two emotions aren't, you know, they're, they're mutually exclusive, you know? Yeah, I think they mean like the same thing. They're, they almost have the same meaning. Right. Because we, we hear Matthew, um, you know, Matthew is reminded of a couple of other times that he has craved human women. And, uh, you know, there are two names that are mentioned specifically. And apparently those two uh, relationships did not work out well. Well, we don't know if they were relationships, but I kind of got the, I kind of got the feeling in the conversation that they weren't just, um, they weren't just casual acquaintances or casual people. Like those two women actually meant something to him. So I think it, that craving has a, a more deeper meaning than just, you know, oh, I, you know that smell is attractive to me. I want to eat, you know, I want to eat her or, you know, I just want to be with her sexually or whatever. I, I think it has like a deeper meaning. And so uh, apparently Ju uh, Juliet was, I guess she had some kind of a s obsession with Matthew. And I'm assuming it did not end well because of the fact that when she heard someone else with his name, her instinct was to first seduce him, which she does in public, in broad daylight. You know, literally they start taking their clothes off and they're, they're like having sex in the middle of the city. And then she immediately attacks him. And then later on she finds him and she kills him. It looks like by tearing out his heart. Um, so it has to be some kind of obsessive compulsion with them which if that's the case with matthew that's not going to work out well for diane <laughs> all i have to say is that the one of the two previous women had better not be a doppelganger that's all i'm saying because <laughs> her name is elena <laughs> exactly i mean better not see a doppelganger well um, <laughs> I, I took it I took it as obsessive behavior, but I also, I, I would, the, the word you guys were using, I would say it was more of, I'm going back to Marvel, more of a condition that was placed on her, sort of like, um, what's that thing, where you can like condition a person to have like a, a, a call and response. Like, uh, thing, but yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the thing is, it's with, with the vampires, which was interesting, if you notice, uh, same thing with Matthew. They don't have the face. They don't have the sharp teeth. They just have regular teeth that we've seen so far. Their mm -hmm. eyes don't change. They basically look human. They just use their regular teeth and drink blood, which is interesting because usually we get a face, we get you know changing, we get teeth, we get uh, we get the inhuman strength and all that. But we just they look and act 
human, they just like to use regular old molars to rip out people's throats and hearts and stuff. Well, I have a theory yeah. about that, Lauren. Okay. <laughs> I think a lot of it is saving a little bit of money on special effects. Mm, mm-hmm. I don't think I don't they, even think it's that. I do. I think if they want if they want to have a lot of magic in the show, they got to cut back somewhere. Mm-hmm. And like it's easier to just have them. We know that part of the story is that they blend in, but at least you don't have to do the extra thing like fangs mm-hmm. and eyes and skin tone and trying to figure out a way to make them be able to walk during the day. It, right. I mean, I, I think it's it helps that they don't have to do all the makeup because they do want to have the ability to do other things. Right. And, you know, they have a pretty big roster of actors, too. So they got a lot That's of people true. on the show. They have a large, a seemingly large cast. And it's easier um, just to do it this way than to try to convey to the audience that, oh, these are vampires. He's scary. He has fangs. Right. Well, you right. don't have to worry about doing makeup for that. And, and they have gorgeous locations. I mean, they go all over the place. I mean, that in itself, you know, from we know from Game of Thrones, that's money right there, you yeah. know? So I think it helps as, as cost-saving because I think normally people who do TV shows like this, it's easy to just throw money at this and be like, okay, we got to make, like, make them look like cool vampires. Mm-hmm. They got to have fangs. Okay, well, they got to hide the fangs. But then now we got to animate them having fangs. Or we have, there's so much involved when it's just easier just to just ignore it and just you know show them the way they are. Because the other thing is we have an additional vampire power. So they can walk around during the day and they also can steal your memories by biting you, True. which is... I don't. I don't remember. I don't. Hanukkah, you know a lot of vampire stuff. I don't ever remember anyone doing that in anything. Um, like I like I mentioned, they did do that in Underworld: uh, Rise of the Lichens. That was one of the ways that Victor found out his uh, daughter Sonia was consorting with Lucian. Um, okay. He he found out that way. Um, in other vampire shows that I can think of right now, um, uh, actually, I think. I think they may have been able to do that in True Blood too. I don't remember because it's been a while since I've rewatched it, but I do know that there are um, telepathic abilities that vampires mm-hmm. have in different other um, shows. In Vampire Diaries, uh, they were able to um, kind of go into another person's memories and project right. uh, memories right. or manipulate their memories. Um, right. They did have that power. So it's, this was not unheard of for me. Like I said, I literally just watched Underworld the other day. And when um, I saw him do that, I was like, oh, that, that's cool. Because, you know, that, that's a callback to another vampire. Um, so I haven't seen happened. Underworld in so long. Okay, yeah. So, Any of them, sir. Oh, okay, yeah, this was the prequel. But um, what I was saying was, um, and, and this is going to go to go ahead and go into the Matthew and Diana stuff. So one of the things that we learned in this episode, um, <clears throat> Matthew, uh, kind of like towards the end of the episode, he, him and Diana kind of meet back up and we'll kind of discuss getting there. But one of the things that he does is he takes her to his lab because he's trying to explain to her the importance of Ashmo 782, the manuscript that everyone seems to be after. 
and he takes her to the lab and kind of explains what they do at the lab and what Matthew and his team does, and the team is Dr. Shepard and then uh, Marcus, I think his last name is Whitfield, and we met Marcus um, and Dr. Shepard both in the last episode. But what they do is they are studying not only the vampires to find out why the vampires have been unable to sire, but they're studying all of the creatures because the issue is that all of the creatures are kind of devolving or you know in in their species it's like the vampires are unable to sire the demons are being pro prone to madness as matthew says and the witcher the witches are losing their powers so they're losing their ability to create magic and i think just in my own head canon and i like i said it's been a while since i've watched the whole series so i don't remember exactly what happened but i feel like the fact that they're losing their abilities as a supernatural species is kind of what's making them more closely human you know it's it will probably explain why they don't have the features like the vampires have or why they're able to walk around in the daylight because they are slowly losing that bit of supernatural magic that makes them supernatural and they're becoming more human like and matthew even says it later on in the episode he says that you know eventually all magical creatures will become extinct and then the humans won't they'll notice that something is missing but they won't even notice it because they don't notice them anyway so i you know as much as i would like to say yes it's it's budgetary i i kind of feel like it might be more of what's written into the characters because one of the things i will say about this show that i've noticed just in these two episodes this telling of vampires and humans and demons and um, witches from some of the other vampire shows and movies that we've seen and been exposed to lately. And of course, I am going to bring up Twilight because we mentioned it the last episode. This series seems to be on a different level, like it's more intelligent. If you if you get what I mean, I mean, just the fact that the the conflict in this, again, we know that there's going to be a romantic component between a witch and a vampire. They've already like clearly established that that's going to happen. But just the fact that what the conflict is, it's not about, you know, two men fighting over a woman or you know species that's like just trying to tear each other apart i mean matthew as a vampire seems to be different in that he's actually trying to figure out how to save all of the creatures and not just the vampires he doesn't seem to hold any type of animosity towards the other ones i mean we see in this episode okay we already know he is attracted to diana um we see that he has a demon who is a friend and confidant. And then I, you know, I don't know about any humans yet. We haven't really seen him interact with humans on that level, but he just seems to be a little bit more mature than what we usually see in vampire shows nowadays. So it just strikes me as a little more, like I said, a little more intelligent. So I feel like the story is 
also more intelligent and it's not falling on the usual tropes that we see in vampire versus other supernatural being, you know. Well, that, that was one of the things that, that drew me to the story initially was it just seemed like it was, I don't want to use the word intelligent, but maybe a bit more highbrow mm -hmm. than other things. But the more I watch these, those first two episodes, the more I realize, well, I think it wants to be more, it wants to focus more on the relationships between people and not necessarily the supernatural conflicts. Mm -hmm. Like that's sort of like ancillary to what's really going on. Like right. a lot of interpersonal stuff. Like these mm -hmm. people, some of them, like Grabert holds a grudge against uh, Michael with, you know, it just, and Juliet has this obsession with him. And now he has an obsession with Diana. It's just, mm -hmm. a lot of it has to do with the, how these relationships are working with each other as opposed to the, the magic and all the other stuff seems to be ancillary, especially when you have demons that just look like regular people. Right. Like they don't, yeah. we don't see horns, we don't see fangs. They don't even look different. They just look like regular humans. Mm -hmm. Right. And actually, I actually really like Hamish. And even though he's only going to be in four episodes, I know I shouldn't get it attached. I'm like, I really like this guy. I mean, because he's, I mean, because he's kind of, he's kind of Matthew's voice of reason. Like he's the guy that Matthew goes to when he has a problem mm -hmm. and he helps him through it. So I actually, I think I'm, I'm really drawn to characters like that in certain shows and movies like the guy that actually helps the main character figure something out or helps him out of the situation or helps him get his mind clear. I actually like, I love those characters. Mm -hmm. And you can see they and, have a lot of history. Right. Yeah. And also I think I agree with Ant because in the, during the hunt, when, when they showed, showed Matthew stalking the deer, they only, they didn't really show him like, you know, zooming really fast and catching the deer immediately. They showed him running behind it and actually it seemed like he was almost having problems catching up with the deer, but then you saw him speed up and speed up. But he didn't immediately catch the deer and go to, go towards and like go to town on it. So I agree that they're actually they're not really focusing on how powerful like like making the making the powers of focus. It's just like you said with the fangs. Like they're not having like animatronic heads with fangs coming down out of, out of the mouth and like growing like literally growing when they when they start vamping out so i think that that's a really good thing because you get to see a different side of it instead of focusing on okay he's a vamp or okay oh he must be a demon because his eyes are red and they're glowing and there's fire coming out of his ears so you really don't see you know you don't have really any indicators like that and really i'm I hate that Hamish isn't going to be in most of this because I, I really, I, I have a really good feeling about him. I, I think it's like, it's, it's almost the same thing like when that I had with Pym in Cursed where it's like, he's kind of, he, he has a, he has a really weird sense of humor. Like when they, when they were, they were in his house, he was like, oh, you redecorated. Yes, I needed a change. It's like, looks like a wedding cake. It's like, oh, you're going to insult my interior decorating? Mm -hmm. I thought that was awesome. I, and, and he's definitely that character who's kind of not necessarily his conscience, but his kind of like his counselor. Yeah, I, I liked how he pointed out, which I thought was just, you know, a side that was hysterical. He goes, not only are the demons, you know, you know, being driven mad, he goes, they're also homeless. And I'm going, 
when's the last time you heard of a homeless demon? <laughs> and then it just I thought that was interesting and then there's a, a species that we haven't seen and and I'm trying to remember when I not to skip ahead but I don't think we have werewolves which is a refreshing change because usually you always get werewolves mm-hmm. I don't, so I, don't I think this is different werewolves usually yeah yeah so I'm I, I'm kind of liking a break from werewolves yeah I think um also Mike with what you were saying as far as the the deer hunt I think also too, like I said, I feel like Matthew was written as a different type of vampire. Like he seems to be more, he seems to have more humanity than most of the vampires that we see in pop culture these days. And I feel like as far as the the hunt with the deer, it wasn't necessarily about him not showing his powers. I think it was one of those things. First of all, most people who hunt will tell you the a lot of the fun is in the hunt itself and not necessarily in just capturing. So it's like he may have drawn that out just to kind of pace himself as well. Because of course, with him being there to hunt in the first place, he's doing it to kind of dampen his craving or what whatever his his um you know his craving was for diana so if you do that and you say you satiate that really quickly it's almost like it's kind of like getting high and then coming down off that high really quickly it's like you're going to be looking for your next fix whereas if you and i'm i'm speaking about this hypothetically i do not do drugs have never done drugs so i don't know (laughs) you seem to be an expert on this i don't know well here's the thing i know a lot of people who do smoke (laughs) i do know a lot of people who do smoke but um but it's it's kind of like if you're doing that and the same thing can be said of drinking you know it's like when you drink slowly you kind of feel the buzz all night it but when you get drunk like if you drink quickly you get drunk and then you get that immediate hangover afterwards because you come crashing down and then afterwards you're kind of like okay what what's next what's next and i feel like he drew out that hunt to kind of draw out and make sure that once he was able to satisfy that craving, it would be able to hold him for a minute until he figured out what he was gonna do about Diana, how he was gonna approach that situation. The other thing that I feel like is, if you see when he finally did catch up to the deer and he kind of cornered cornered it, what we're used to seeing in other vampire stories for vampires who are the quote unquote vegetarians or the ones who don't feed on people, but feed on animals. It's almost like once they do get to the animals, it is like a brutal attack. It's like, you know, a frenzy. And I felt like the way that this story dealt with it, it's kind of like, he just sat there and he stared at the deer. And I don't know if he was using some kind of mental powers. Like we know that they can do telepathy. We see that later on in the episode with Knox and Diana. But I don't know if it was something about his power that he was using to kind of calm the deer. But I felt it like it was like, oh, it's called something like when because they do that to humans, like when they stare at them and talk slowly. It's not like they're hypnotizing it, but it's like it's there. There's yeah. A word for it. I can't compelled. It. Yes. Com- yes. Compelled. Yeah. But- Compulsion. 
it felt like he was also doing it to be humane. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, like I said, I feel like Matthew is a different, he's being presented as a different type of vampire, not one of the ones that's like just bloodthirsty and going out like complete opposite of Juliet. And if that's the case, we can probably see why that relationship did not work out because they are on like total opposite planes. But I like the way that they are presenting his character. Also, you know, we see later on when he is finally face to face with Diana, you see that he he's exerting a great amount of control being around her, knowing that it's doing whatever to him. It's making him crave. It's making him aroused. It's making him hungry. Whatever those emotions are, you can see he's doing a lot to try to um, dampen whatever effect she's having on him. And it kind of, like I said, I feel like he's more in touch with humanity than most vampires we're introduced to. And that kind of intrigues me. About yeah, he, he also guided her to how to not to help his to help ease his ease his craving. Right. Like he was, like he was sitting not, not facing him. He, he was like, I can smell your I can smell your adrenaline. You need to calm down and slow your heartbeat so that I can actually talk to you. Right. So I can focus. Right, right. <laughs> and and notice that and and you know, I think it also says something about him that Okay, so we saw at the end of the last episode, you know, that last scene with them, he picked up her jacket, he smelled it, and that's when you kind of knew, oh, some, you know, something big is happening here, like he wants her. And you would think for someone to see that kind of him have that kind of reaction about her, you would think that, that would scare her off, which of course we know in these vampire stories that that never happens, but still you know, the next day she comes out, she checks her mailbox and her jacket is in the mailbox. And instead of looking worried, she almost looked kind of pleased. You know, she kind of get, had like a little smile, like, oh, he's, you know, he, he was thoughtful enough to put the jacket back. Hmm, there's something different about him. And she even says that to Jillian later on in the episode. She says there's something about him. And I think it's, like I said, he's more, he's more in touch with his humanity than most vampires would be. He certainly seems to be more in touch with it than Knox is because Knox, for you know him being a witch, he's coming off very aggressive. He's coming off very, you know, creepy. Knox, Knox, Knox seems like he doesn't like anybody who's not a witch. You think? Yeah, he doesn't. He just doesn't. I mean, he, he's 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 like the Republican of the supernatural community. <laughs> He's like, yeah, send them all away. Put them, build a wall. Get them out of here. You know, if you're not a, if you know, if you're not, if you're not witch, you're a son of a bitch. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, see, Mike. Like, since since you brought it up, I wasn't <laughs> gonna talk about the subversive social nature of this show. I don't know if it was intentional by the writer, but you know, Michael he seems to come off as like this very socially conscious, socially aware individual who, you know, wants to help everyone. And then on the other side, you got Michael this guy. Matthew. Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew. <laughs> I keep saying Michael. I don't yes, know. Michael, you're, you're I'm like, are you talking you. about me? Like, yes, you're the same I'm, way too, see, but... I'm looking at you and I'm looking at your name and I'm saying Michael. 
That's what I'm doing. I'm composing I'm talking to you. I'm composing I'm to you, you, Anthony. I'm making you say my name. But yeah, um, but yeah, he, he's Matthew's like this ultra liberal guy. He was trying to figure out what's going on with everyone. He wants to help everybody. And yeah, on the other side, you got and everything. Yeah, and on the other side, you got Knox who thinks that witches are the shit that should be the only ones. Period. Right. And and that's scary. Then you got the demons who are homeless, and we're trying to figure out what's going on with them. It's it just seems like there's a lot of um, subversive. I don't want to use the word subversive, but there are a lot of layers to this. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it was intentional by the author, or maybe they didn't realize they were doing it, or it just could be me being sensitive to that no, kind I think, of thing. I, I think you're onto something. I think I think it's definitely like like it's almost like vampires are liberals. The witches, are, which are witch supremacists, and then like the demons are kind of like libertarians almost. So it's like it's, it's kind of it's kind of a weird dynamic. But this is a hundred percent. Like I, I think you're a hundred percent onto that. Even though, even though, is this a British show or is it like an American show? It is, it's British. British. I think. I think it's British. Is it? Well, I mean, they they have the same kind of kind of like like conservative and liberal and liberal parties there. So maybe I mean. I, I definitely got that vibe, especially when he started talking about global warming, and I was like, "Huh, okay, yeah, that's not something you vampires usually worried about because it's like they've been around, they, they've been around for so long. It's like, yeah, whatever." But yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you on that. I think yeah, and, the, and then to top it all off, you have this, you know, whole notion that their bloodlines are are thinning out. You know, that they're slowly disappearing going away and eventually they'll be completely gone that's a scary notion for a certain group of people you know? yep that which supremacist that's a whole hard <laughs> thing. yeah yeah but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i mean i don't know if if that was the intent when the story it's was Michael's written fault. i do i do it's see Michael's i do fault. see the i do see the parallels but i you know if, if you think about a lot of um if you think about a lot of shows that deal with supernatural elements, there is always, um, a, there seems to always be a suggestion of classism within the different species within, I mean, even within their own hierarchy. I mean, Underworld is a good, you know, example of that. You've got the elders and then you've got their uh, subordinates and then you've got just like the regular vampires and you know the same thing with um, interview with the vampire you know you have Louis and and Lestat who you know kind of they've been around for a long time they've amassed you know their own wealth and they kind of live the high life and then you've got these other vampires who are just kind of whatever you know it's just I, the I, I, is like that, right? With the Voltori and the yes, the Voltori is like the ruling class. They're they're the governing uh, mm -hmm. class of vampires, and they're the ones who kind of make all the rules and decide what can be done and what can't be done. And um, the same thing, um, <clears throat> kind of sort of with the werewolves. There, you have you have the Quillutes who are, um, you know, they're the ones that kind of keep the peace in forts and around the reservation, they kind of, um, you know, they're the ones who are overseeing the, the vampire treaty in, in that particular one. So yeah, you always get that with, you know, 
supernatural species, but I guess if you think about it, it's not really different from telling a regular human tale. You always have classes in there too. You've got someone who is like in the upper echelon, they're the ruling class or they're the monarchy or they're, you know, the, the CEOs, the, you know, the upper class, whatever. And then you've got, you know, the different little tiers. So it just so happens that this happens to be supernatural and it just kind of takes a different different um form but um i think that there's also there's a, there's a book series that one of my favorite authors is kim harrison i don't know if mm. anyone else has read any mm -hmm. of her books yep yeah it's like that because in her books the vampires are always on the top and it's like it, and it goes down from there and witches are usually witches and fairy and the fairies and L are at the bottom so it's like it usually seems like they usually they have like though so they like the vampires are usually on the top of the food chain as far as supernatural things go so it's well, kind of because that's literal top of the food chain. <laughs> <laughs> not okay okay literally yes but figured but figuratively and social and socioeconomically as well because i guess because they can compulse people to give them to do whatever they want to so they can get wherever they want so I mean that that's kind of it's kind of an unfair advantage, but it is the way it is. Right. Right. Vampires are a disease. It should be eradicated. Okay, Knox. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Knox. Look, Watch Rambo I'm, I'm gonna take Diana's stance. I don't I don't fall in line with that way of thinking. But anyway, so vampirism is a sexually transmitted disease. Oh Lord, you know what? Anyway. So let's let let's talk about Diana for a minute. So while Matthew was off, you know, in the countryside trying to, you know, deal with his cravings for her, Diana is having so Mike, did you freak out when you saw her dream? Diana's having weird dreams. Yes, I did. Why does it always have to be fucking spiders? Why? Why, why, why? I was like, I'm, I'm literally a minute into the damn episode and the spider is jumping out at me like a jump scare. Not I felt you. like I was doing one of those stupid maze things where you like hit the side and it was like, eee! and I was like, motherfucker. And not just spider. not just the spider jumping. She's like, she wakes up and she she's encased in like spider webs, like they're cocooning her. I was like, oh, that's a bit too much. That's just. Yeah. I'm like Indiana. I'm like Indiana Jones with snakes. I'm like spiders. Why does it always have to be spiders? Okay, Ron Weasley. <laughs> that too. That too. Damn it. Fucking spider. But anyway, so Diana, um, she goes through a uh, she goes through a lot in quite a short time in this episode. First of all, the first thing I want to say about Diana, this is something that I noticed in these first two episodes, and you'll notice this theme throughout the whole season they use a lot of blue when it comes to diana and it brings mm. out teresa palmer's eyes like like every time she's in a scene whatever color blue she's in or is around her it's like her eyes change um you know they change colors to match the blue with what she's wearing it's something you notice throughout the whole season and i don't know if they did that on purpose or if it you know Lori, you've read the book is there something that alludes to like a specific color palette for this particular character they they do play with colors 
They, yeah, they, yes, they, they do play with colors, but they kind of, how can I put it this way? They text sort of the same way they do it in the show, where whenever they describe a scene with her, there's blue or there's some other cool color. When there's uh, the demons, there's always like a red or orange aura type of a color. It is so they my do a little bit of favorite thing. It's one of my favorite things about this show. It's kind of like, it's so... It's such a small detail, but at the same time, it mm -hmm. kind of like makes the scenes pop. And it was just one of those things like mm -hmm. I immediately noticed, like in the first episode, I was kind of like, oh, she wears a lot of blue. And then I just happened to look at her eyes and I'm like, oh my God, her eyes are like so blue. And then I just noticed it in this episode as well. And I'm like, wow, I wonder, it, you know, I just kind of wonder if that was like, you know, kind of like when when you have certain movies and you have uh, you have themes that are specific to a character. Like you know, when we hear the Imperial March, we automatically think of Darth Vader. You mm -hmm. know, and you hear Hedwig's theme, you all automatically think Harry Potter. I feel like visually, that's what they're doing in this show with the blue and, like you said, with Hamish. You know, Hamish was very, very specifically decked out in like this uh kind of like a burnt coral orange reddish mm -hmm. kind of color with, it's like green and red mm -hmm. yes I, which yeah. i love i actually love that 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 tone of orange but i you know i noticed that throughout um i i do remember that from watching the series uh, a while back that you do kind of notice those color schemes with particular characters and i just mm -hmm. wonder Matthew if that always was... wears black yeah so. He's always in black. Yeah. is always in red. Mm -hmm. But I, I just wondered if that was something that was intentional. And if it is, I love it. You know, it's, it's, it's something very pleasing to look at when you're, you know, dealing with all of these characters. But um, anyway, going back to Diana. So she, um, she goes back to the library and, you know, she makes a comment about the library being very crowded. And I mean, even when she walks in, we see that like tables are full. And when she walks in, she's pretty much commanding everyone's attention. And she notices it and, you know, she's kind of weary about what's going on around her. She sits down to start doing her work. And of course, here comes Knox, he approaches her. Um, and, you know, one thing about Knox, I will say he's very straightforward. He doesn't bullshit around. He doesn't, you know, beat around the bush. He he's very forward. He's very straightforward with what he wants. He says things very plainly and gets to the point. And he does this with with Diana, you know, about the the manuscript and you know, oh yeah, there's a lot of creatures in here today. So basically letting him know, I mean letting her know, you know. I, I see what's going on. I know what's what's happening around you. Oh, th they must have heard that you took out the book. And she's saying, like, how do you know all this stuff? And, you know, he he kind of, she kind of brushes him off and he makes a reference to her mother um, that kind of piques her interest. And of course, the next time we see them, they're walking and she's looking very friendly because of course he apparently knew her her mother um, ha has known her mother since they were teenagers and briefly knows her father, which already told me, okay, you were in love with this woman and she chose somebody else over you. Okay, let's get that out the way. And then of course, she's trying to, you know, she's just friendly trying to get more information from him. 
They go to lunch and then he starts asking her about the book. And then he starts getting very aggressive, very quickly with his questions about the book. And I was like, yeah, your true colors are about the show. Like, it's just the, the way that he quickly went from being this friendly, nostalgic person with her to, you know, once they, once they sat down and once he had her, I guess, away from her comfort zone, you know, she wasn't at the bod anymore. He just kind of went after her to the point where she tries to leave and he grabs her arm and I'm like, oh, dude, this is not, this is not good. Like, you, we already know he's going to be a creep. We already know he's he's going to be the bad guy in this, you know. And then he also makes the statement to Diana. Um, basically, he tells her about the book and he says that the book has the witch's first spells. That's what he thinks is in it. And also the background that he thinks is in the book is that it tells that witches actually created vampires. And if witches were the ones to create vampires, maybe the book will have, you know, information on how to uncreate vampires. So here we go with the species cleansing bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Y'all know I rolled my eyes when I when he said that. I was like, oh, here we go. One of them. And again, we're dealing with a, a more like I said, I feel like a little more mature, a little more intelligent storyline, but you are dealing with Diana who basically is like, and why would we want to do that? You know, she's, she's basically like, you, you just can't, you just can't erase a whole species of people or a whole race of people just because you don't like them or you have conflict with them. And unfortunately she finds out that Knox is not the only person who feels like this, you know, later on in the episode, she goes to see Jillian because she's kind of shaken by this encounter with Knox. And of course, we already know that Jillian has been working with Knox, but Diana doesn't know this. So she's, you know, basically spilling all of her information. And Jillian's, Jillian's just trying to get her, oh, well, maybe you should just go ahead and get, give, give Knox the book and, you know, be done with it. And then she also makes comments stating that, well, what's wrong with, you know, what's wrong with getting rid of vampires? You know, they've always been against us, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, basically she holds the same prejudices. And Diana calls her out about that. Again, one of the things I like about this character, about this character and also the rest of the characters. So far, it seems like most of the characters are straightforward. They don't, they don't deal with the mind games. They don't deal with the beating around the bush, they are all pretty direct. And Diana is one of those characters who pretty much says what she feels. And so when Jillian says this and shows her prejudice, Diana basically calls her out and she was like, you know, that vampire who's been trailing me, he's saying, you know, he's saying pretty different. He doesn't seem prejudice against us like we are against them. And I, I do notice that she did say we as in witches, but probably because maybe she has also been brought up with that kind of prejudice that oh the vampires are evil vampires are, are out against us and she's now taking these experiences and kind of judging for herself because of course you see people who are the witches who are supposed to be your people they seem to be the ones that have the issues with you you know she's she's already been confronted by Knox and then she's also confronted by Satu 
And Satu actually tries to do a spell on Diana to figure out what she knows and realizes that there's some kind of block there. But again, this is somebody who also kind of, you know, gives Diana some veiled threats. And then Jillian, she finds out later, has betrayed her because she goes to Jillian's house when Knox happens to be there. And she realizes that Jillian is how Knox knew to come look for her and find her and ask her about the book. So it's just kind of like, right now she doesn't have anybody to turn to but the vampire. Like y'all are, y'all are sitting here telling her she needs to stay away from the vampire. Y'all the very ones that's kind of driving her there. Never trust somebody with a bad wig. That's the way I knew you couldn't trust Jillian. Because that wig is terrible. I'm like, can't y'all just let her use her real hair? I mean, damn. But yeah, it's like, Knox is, Knox is kind of an anomaly to me because he's, you can tell that he's going to be the big, he's going to be one of the big bads, but he just doesn't look intimidating at all. Mm. Like, he's kind of chubby and it's like, his haircut. And it's like, you look at him, you're like, I'm not really scared of you. It's not like, you know, it's not like Lucius Mouth, like Malfoy, Voldemort, or even Snake. It's like, you're not really intimidated by him. It's like, you, if he comes up to you and says, give me what you know, and you're like, you, you, you just kind of want to smack him beside the head and get him out of here. But he, but in, but later on, he does show that he's pretty formidable as far as what he can do. And, yeah, but Diana gave back as good as she got. Yeah, she oh. did. And but like, Knox, Knox comes across as a type of person who he only got where he is by playing with other people's fears and insecurities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Pick up a and, little bit more, Anthony. Oh, I'm sorry. He he comes across as someone who plays on other people's fears and insecurities. That's what yeah. I get from him. You know, yeah, especially on Jillian, because Jillian is so insecure. It's like she it's like she's looking for confirmation of how important she is to somebody or to something. So she's willing to do whatever. So it's like the more mm -hmm. not says, Oh, so what do you know? Tell me what you know. And she's like, oh, well, uh, and she'll literally spill the beans because she feels important and she feels like somebody is actually listening to her and is and really values what she says. So that's really, that's dangerous, especially to somebody who's weak-minded like Jillian and her badass and her really fucked up wig. <laughs> it's like, you, you, can, you can pretty much use her to no end, to whatever ends you want. But now that now that Diana knows that she's like that, she's not really gonna have, not really gonna be that important to, I mean, it's like, she's not, it's like Diana's not gonna open herself up to her now that she knows that she's in league with Knox. It's like, why would she? Because it's like, you know what, she doesn't want her running to Knox or running to Knox, running straight to Knox telling him what she said. So she has to figure out a way around it. Yeah, but I think I think Jillian was also um, I think she was also figuring out that her sense of self worth in this whole scenario is not as big as she thought it was because when he started asking her very pointed questions about Diana, she couldn't really answer them because even mm. though she and Diana know each other, I don't. Like I said, the last episode, I really don't look at them as friends because, again, yeah, more of acquaintances. Yeah, know. more of acquaintances, and I think Diana is just reaching out to her basically because that's the only person she really knows on campus, and mm. 
you know, to see that someone that you started to put your trust in or somebody that you considered, you know, that you, that you were trying to work towards a friendship with to be the person who actually has put all of this into motion, so to speak, you know, it's kind of like, that's a, that's a huge pill to swallow, you know, for someone in Diana's position. And then of course, Knox is showing up everywhere. You know, Diana goes to a party for the Dean later on that night and who happens to be there but not <laughs> you know and he tries to convince her about um you know getting the book for him and i i like what she did so earlier in the day diana called her her one of her aunts to ask about Knox, and m basically told her yeah he had a thing for your mom he didn't like your dad too much you know but towards the end neither one of them trusted him don't trust him you know and Diana says to Knox that night, you know, he keeps, you know, badgering her about the book and getting it for him. And she says, I'm, she says, I'm like my mother. Once I've made up my mind, I don't change it. And it's kind of like the look on his face was kind of like, oh, you've been talking to someone. And he, you could tell that kind of stung him because obviously he was in love with her mother and she chose someone else. So, okay. But he then uses that to, I guess you can say, he tries to manipulate the situation by using telepathy, which at this point we, we weren't even aware that they had this ability, but he uses the, he uses the telepathy to start threatening her basically like yeah i can get into your mind i can do this all you know it's basically one of those i can sit here and keep badgering you until you give me what what i want i can just be in your mind i can be talking to you i can drive you crazy and you can see it starting to get to her and then her hands start to glow and i don't know if this is her natural powers coming through or if it has something to do with the text from the ashmo manuscript because you can see a little bit of that in her hands when when she when her hands start to light up, but she basically turns around and she sees him and she said, and she tells him telepathically, get out of my head. And the force of what she says to him is so strong that it not only pushes him out of her head, she also breaks the window in front of where he's standing. And he's on a second story, you know, he's in a second story room and she forces him out of her head and she breaks the window. And at this point, he turns to look at her because he realizes, oh shit, she's way more powerful than I thought she was. Like, yeah, this I is not gonna be a pushover situation. It's like it's like her, it's like that power is kind of it's like those powers came up kind of like an kind of like an alarm system, like if so, mm -hmm. if someone's like intruding and not and getting too close to where they're too close for comfort. It triggers, and she's like, "All right, you need to back up off, back up off me." Mm -hmm. Also, I think that his his telepathy is almost is almost a version of the it's almost a, like a witch version of compulsion. Like he he, he can basically compulse her to because he 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 said that he could make her come back inside, and that's what he was trying to do. When she, when she was walking out in the yard, he tried to make her come back inside. So that's almost compulsion. Which leads back to Ash, which leads back to the Ashmore, where it shows where how it shows like the creation of all the super of supernatural beings of vampires, witches, and all that. So 
maybe there's there's something in there where it's where where there there's something where you can have you can have cross powers like witches can have vampire powers or vampires can do witch things and things like that where it can it can actually make one one set of one one race of supernaturals more powerful than the other one or it can or conversely it can draw powers from like a witch can go up to a vampire and touch him and take their powers from him. Like mm. maybe maybe there's there's something off there, there's a there's a there's a, a spell for that where they can actually steal powers from someone else because they they did say um what um her her aunt's partner did say that he dabbled in the dark arts, which that his 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 ability to to kind of have a witch's version of compulsion kind of strikes me as something that he got from the dark arts, mm-hmm. from dabbling in the dark arts. So I think that that's gonna be interesting to see how that plays out. And and I was thinking, um, trying not to reference other things, but <laughs> she made me think of Credence because, you know, I forgot what they call them in Fantastic Beasts, but a person who suppresses their, their magic, you know, creates this thing that's, you know, I'm trying not to be spoilers, but it creates this thing right. I, I, know, that's I know what you're saying. Extremely yeah. powerful. And mm-hmm. you know, we learn I think we learn later why she is this powerful, but right now she's not trained. So all of it's gonna be instinctual. And one of the things about, you know, wildling magic in most literature is wildling magic is pretty dangerous because mm-hmm. they don't know how powerful they are, they don't know what they can do, and they don't know what they shouldn't do. And they can't control it. And at they all. can't control it at all. And right now she's operating on instinct. Mm-hmm. So her instinct was to stop him. And she threw his butt right out. Right. You know? So um so yeah, so Di- Diana goes a- after all of this, um, this encounter with Knox and then of course finding out that Jillian has betrayed her, she seeks out the one person who she feels like she can talk to which happens to be matthew and um you know we we talked a little bit about matthew's you know being able to try to control himself around her and um you know he he kind of opens up to her a little bit he gives her this book with a letter in it that was written to him by charles darwin and then she realizes he has been looking for the ashmore eight is the 852 book since 1859. And And I figured he's probably older than that. Oh, yeah, he's got to be. I mean, oh, yeah, Ashmo 782. So, yeah, he's been looking for Ashmo 782 since 1859. And I mean, she even, yeah, he has to be older than that. And she even questions him, you know, she was like, you know, were you there when such and such? And were you there when such and such? And she was like, were you there? What did she say? Were you there when uh, Carthage fell? And he was like, which time? time. I was like, (laughs) oh shit, (laughs) But he never really gave her a a direct answer, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, but I mean, we we can ascertain he's pretty old. I mean, he said he used to he used to ro- he used to ice skate on the Thames. So he's pretty doggone old, you know. But yeah. you know, at this point, it kind of establishes 
a little bit of a connection for them. And, um, you know, I think she starts. Go ahead. Well, I, before you got to that, I wanted to say one more thing about Henry Knox. The difference between him and Matthew is that Matthew didn't push her. You know, he, he basically was like, okay, well, I, I'm interested in the book. You know, these other people are interested in the book. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. But Henry Knox, he went about it the wrong way. He right. like, Pressing her, pressing her, pushing her. Yeah, and, and the whole time I'm watching, like, God, you are such an idiot. You started out pretty good. Oh, I knew your parents. Right. Oh, your mom was one of my favorite people. If he had just played that, played mm-hmm. that, like, mm-hmm. and he could have gained her trust, and she'd be like, oh, sure, you know what? Here's the book. But no, he had to get greedy. He needed it right then and there. And like, then he had to tell her that he was go- he was planning to eradicate a whole right. a whole but, race of people. Like right, but Matthew is like playing the long game. He's like, you know what, the book is what it is. I could use it. You could help me help everyone else. Mm-hmm. You know, so I would like to see it. If not, no big deal. Right. Then but on the other side, you got knocks. Give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me. Yeah, but but in the meantime, you need to protect yourself. Like he again. Right. He's concerned. He's yes, concerned he wants the book. He wants the book. He wants to find out what he needs to find out. But at he's not willing to have her in danger for it. You know. Right. I mean, because yeah. they're, they're they're basically black and white. It's like he, Matthew wants to save his race, and Knox wants to eradicate them. So it, they're 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 totally opposite sides of the coin. And I don't think I think Knox is. Knox is who he is, and he can't he can't stop himself from being who he is. Like he wants to eradicate vampires, mm-hmm. and Matthew wants to save vampires, demons, and he wants he wants to figure out what's wrong. Right. And Knox wants to wants to make the situation wants to just get rid of people. And, so, and, the, and the actress that plays Diana, she's really good at expressing her emotions on her face. Yes. Because when Knox said he knew her mother, the look on her face was like, oh my God, you did? Mm-hmm. And it's like, he could have taken that moment mm-hmm. and he could have gotten the book right then. He could have. But no, yeah. he went the other way. I knew your mother. She was awesome. Yeah, he went the complete opposite direction. Yes. Stupid. Yeah. He could, right. He could have completely, you know, but see, th- there's the problem. When you're somebody who's so single-minded on getting something you don't care about people's feelings you tend to be very very blunt to get what you want i think that that's the way that he's been most of his life if not all of his life so that's how that's the only way he knows how to get things done Mm -hmm. so i don't think he's in i don't think he was capable of having a little bit of empathy even if he had a lie to get what he wanted Right. I think that's that's probably his most effective means of getting what he wants. And yeah. plus he he's with he's with the um corporation, conglomeration or whatever. Congregation. The congregation is one of the one of the conscience, yeah. So he's with he's with the with them and they're probably compelling him to like, okay, we need a book now, so give me the fucking book. Get the book. I don't care how you do it, get the book. So he's like, Oh, Okay, I okay, now that I know where the book is, okay, give me the book so I can so I can get these people so I can get the congregation off my back. Right. But it's like now it's like you you've pretty much played your hand. It's like you 
why would why would why she even talk why would she even talk to you now there's absolutely no purpose in her being around you I mean, he can hammer thing. he can hammer that he can hammer that round peg into the square hole <laughs> as hard as he wants eventually it's going to get in there but how hard are you going to have to hammer it with all you going to destroy it while you're doing it and that's kind yeah, of yeah but, but with her power with her powers when he hits the, when he hits the peg the oh, hammer back. right back into his forehead <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but the other thing that kind of struck me about Knox is how he's singling out vampires like when if if Ashmo he didn't even talk about demons. right exactly like so if Ashmo 782 has the origin story for all creatures as Matthew thinks it does and Knox thinks it has the witch's first spells on how they created vampires. It's kind of like, okay, so in Knox's, um, you know, in his grand scheme of things, where do the demons fall? Like, do you not care I think they're, about I think the demons? They're irrelevant. Or, they, they have no power. Or He is or, about power. Or, yeah, they're basically the Green Party, yeah. Or he could be working with demons to try to re eradicate the vampires if that's the case. I really don't. I, I think I think he said he said I I I don't want to think I'm I'm going ahead, but I'm pretty sure he said that vampires have gotten too powerful and they need to be brought back. Uh. And I think that that has a lot to do with it. He's he's really about the acquisition of power, and as long as the vampires are there. They're they're they've been around the longest. They live forever. They have all the power, and he he wants he wants that power for himself. So that makes me think that Knox is ignorant of the fact that vampires seem to be having difficulty siring. I don't think if, anyone. I don't think anyone knows okay. outside of the community. Okay. That's the that's the impression I got when Matthew was talking to Diana. Okay. Or, or conversely, he might he might know, or he might have caused he he might he might know why vampires can't mm -hmm. fire anymore, and now and now he's trying to put the final stake in their coffin, so to speak. Uh, I, I actually didn't mean to do that. That was pretty cool. Okay, but I really think that he he uh, some, for some reason I feel like he knows why vampires can't make any more vampires, and he's like, well. Maybe I think there's probably going to be a in a, a backstory where he's like, where it's just it's just like in episode nine of Curse where where the mother was like, or episode eight where she was like, I wasn't always like this, you know. There's there's going to be a moment like that where she's mm -hmm. like, you know, I was a good witch one time. I was Glenn the good witch, but then no, Knox has ever been good anything. I mean, I, I, I just think I just think that he that he knows more than he's letting on, especially about the vampires, and that he's trying to put he's trying to really make it make it final that there are no more vampires. I think there's something to that. Hmm. I I think that Knox uh, not only does he know more than he's saying, I think he knows more about everything, including Diana's parents. You know, right. maybe stuff about her. Uh, what I'm curious about is is why he is so I mean I can understand wanting to get a book like that but it just seems that he doesn't just want the book for the book's sake or to get rid of the vampires it seems like he's got a higher alternative motive for getting the book 
but it just hasn't been revealed yet. Mm-hmm. And it would be good for anybody it would, if he can get his hands on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he 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 kind of strikes me as one of those characters like no good is going to come out of anything he's trying to do on this show. Period. Ladies and gentlemen, we have our father, Carton. Oh. <laughs> oh. You know, I don't know. I, I mean, again, I am, you know, we're only two episodes in, but I'm really enjoying the way that they, like, this story is, I think I mentioned it the last episode we did, it's almost like they're peeling back layers of an onion, like, we're finding out a lot of things, and they're doing it in a way that doesn't, they're not throwing too much at us, they're not holding back stuff, I feel like they're giving us the right amount of information that we need, and the way that they're telling it is making the story interesting, you know? I don't feel like I really feel intrigued. Like if we hadn't done this podcast immediately after me rewatching that second episode, I would probably still be binge watching again, which is what I did the first time I watched. Mm -hmm. Like I got drawn in that way. Like, okay. Yeah. I know I have to be at work in a couple hours, but yeah, I kind of need to see what's going on. (laughs) That's how that's like I say in that first in that first episode where we are learning as she learns. Mm -hmm. So everything is sort of opening up. They're opening this world up to us the the deeper she gets into it. Right. Because she's been kind of ignorant to it most of her life and we are learning as she learns. Mm -hmm. And I I I kind of like that way of storytelling. And I think that's what drew me into it too because at first it's not something I would be interested in simply because like Vampire Diaries, just no. <laughs> so I, it was interesting to start, and I was like, okay, I want to learn a l- little bit more. Okay, this is interesting. And two episodes in, and I'm like, okay, tell me more. I want to know more. Right. And I think the other thing, too, that, that's kind of appealing about it more than some of the other stuff that we've seen in recent years. One, we're dealing with adults. You know, there's no teen drama. There's no teen angst. Two, we are dealing with, again, intelligence. All of the people, think about it. Diana is a doctor. Marcus is a doctor. Um, Miriam is a doctor. Uh, Matthew, I mean, they're, they're all intellectuals, you know? And so, and they're bringing that intellect into the story. It's not just your basic... Like I said, it's not your basic romance. It's not your basic, oh, I don't like him. He doesn't like me. I mean, they have a dislike for each other's races, but there is a, a deeper meaning to that dislike. You know what I'm saying? It, it like I yeah. said, it, it feels smarter, and therefore I'm more, I'm more attached to it, or I'm more drawn to it because because we're looking at an adult drama. Which is something that I, I I haven't been into an adult drama like this in a while, you know. It's Vampire Diaries for thirty-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Hanukkah. Y'all should see Hanukkah's face right now. <laughs> I'm really, sorry, I'm really hurt her. Oh my and God, Hanukkah needs to get it. You got to give her a minute. And I'm saying this as a fan of Vampire Diaries. Like, I love that show. 
but no. It, it's, <laughs> it's so not like... Look, look, my best moment is when Caroline got pregnant. That <laughs> was the best thing ever. It's just so much. Like I said, I, 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 it's kind of like, I don't even know. I don't even know how to describe it. But like I said, I just feel... I feel a little smarter watching this one. <laughs> you know what I'm yes. saying? Yes, and, and it's not. <laughs> even, with, even with the way, like, when Matthew decided to bring, like, yes, he was giving her the information. He told her a little bit of his background, you know, about how he, you know, he pursued all of the Ashmo man- manuscripts. Like, this was someone who was a philosopher and he was a thinker and he wrote all of these different manuscripts and Matthew was so intrigued by what this man had to say. He went and read every single one. First of all, you got a vampire. That's a reader. I'm all for that. Second, you're drawing this woman in using intellect and academia. You know, Mm -hmm. you take her to your lab and you show her, you know, you show her the data on what you're doing, what your research is bringing, what you found out, you know, just the fact that he says he feels like, you know, as far as the witches, he feels like the more and more they're suppressing in their generations, that's what's causing them to lose out. And he's bringing her the whole, you know, cold hard facts. That's like, that's impressive. It's not one of those, it's not one of those. I'm smiling because he is so not Bill Compton. Or Eric Northman. I mean, he's not. It's not about. Like, okay, we've established. Yes, he craves her, so we know that there is there is a sexual tension there. We 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 see it, and honestly, I can feel it between these two characters. I feel the chemistry between these two characters, but they're focusing on it in a way that's not focusing on it. You get what mm-hmm. I'm saying? It's kind of like mm-hmm. it's there, but it's not the main, it's not the most important thing about this story right now. And I like that. That it's not about the lust. It's not about the sex. It's not about who's going to get the girl. It's about, hey, we're, this is really what we want to do. We, we're trying to save everyone. We're trying to figure out how to save everyone. And it just so happens that, oh, you're attractive. I'm attractive. Hey, we're attractive. You know, it's kind of like, <laughs> you know, it's kind of, it's a side thing. But I, but I like the way that they're telling this story. It's like very intriguing and it's very refreshing, you know, to, to see here, this buddy. kind of, you know, this kind of storyline as opposed to the same kind of shit we see all the time. Mm-hmm. When dealing with vampires and humans or whatever, yeah, yeah. He reminds me of the vampire in Penny Dreadful, but with better morals. It's like, Mm. has anyone else watched watched Penny Dreadful other than me? I I tried it once. That was enough. I couldn't get into it. I tried what? Penny Dreadful. Yes. He reminds me of that vampire, but with morals, and it's like, uh, I. I didn't expect to get anything pink dreadful, but I'm like I'm like hundred percent into it. I don't even know if they're gonna, probably not gonna make any more, but yeah, that's what he reminds me of because it's like I mean he's he's a like you said, he's a scholar. 
He's he's intelligent. He cares about more than just sucking blood and and influencing 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 people to do his will. He doesn't care about all that. He cares about his other vampires. He cares about making things better. He cares. He actually cares. Period. And it's like it's hard. It's not very often you see a vampire actually care about anything other than its own survival, not mm-hmm. the survival of its race, but its own survival. Mm-hmm. And that's really refreshing. Yeah. So I'm enjoying it. I, you know, I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to tamper down the, the, uh, the instinct or the, the desire to go and binge watch everything because I kind of want to, I want to savor it, you know, especially since if I binge watch everything now, that means I have to wait a whole nother month before season two starts. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to pace myself so that once we get ready to get into season two, I can just kind of ease on into it. Mm-hmm. But it's hard because the show so far is so good, right. you know, that I'm kind of like, oh, I just want to watch, I want to watch, you know. It's, it's, it's so, it's the writing, it's so highbrow. You know, it, it's, it's, you're watching it. And like I said before, this is what the order should have been. This is what the magicians should have been. You know, but it wasn't, and, and they weren't. And this, it, it, I, I, I'm like you. I want to binge. Yeah, I want to binge. Yeah, but we're not gonna do that. We're gonna take this slowly. We're no, gonna we're going it. To we're gonna enjoy it. We're gonna enjoy. We're gonna enjoy intelligent TV for a minute. <laughs> you know, we're very gonna, well put. We're gonna yeah. enjoy. And savor it, you know. It's just yes. It's like a, it's like a an expensive meal. You know, you don't want to rush yeah. through it. You right. gotta kind of, yeah. you know, sample here and sample there. But yeah, I'm right. I, I'm really enjoying it, and and I'm enjoying the rewatch because again, I'm able to pick up on more things than I than I did the first time I watched it. Because literally the first time I watched it. I binged all the episodes at once because I was just so into it. And it's been a while since I found a show that kind of grabbed me from that very first episode to where I was like, oh yes, I'm not going anywhere. I'm planting my ass right here. I'm not getting up. It's, it's been a while since I've had a show that that grabbed me just like that, you know? Is this gonna be a, a, uh, a whole series drop or are they gonna do one a week? I believe this is going to be a weekly series because it's on AMC. Oh, okay. And you know, they don't they don't drop like full season. So yeah, I think it's gonna be a weekly um series. Okay. I okay. Believe, I believe that's what it was because when I saw when I saw season one originally, it was on the Sundance channel. And I think I think it was I wanna say it was also released weekly as well. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. And I think I waited yeah. until the end of it to uh, to binge watch. Yeah. I. I yeah. It's, well, we're doing the show, so I don't. I don't know. You know what the schedule is, but it's gonna be. It's gonna be hard watching we do week with new episodes. <laughs> well, maybe we can do a few. Uh, maybe we can do a few. Like a few a week. We'll see. Well, if they do what I think they're gonna do the second season, and I know what they're doing it. Because you saw, you tweeted, I saw the picture that you tweeted out about 38 days left and there was a picture yes. from the set. Yes. And I'm like, oh, they went there because 
you know what's happening. I can't wait. It looks so good. Yeah, I, so. I think I think what will happen is if we end up finishing, uh, if we finish covering season one before season two starts, I think I'm going to go ahead and start reading the first book and see okay. if I can see if I can sit down long enough to actually get through the book. And then, uh, you know, try to go through the second book. Because like I said, I have the first two books sitting on my bookshelf. Now, I just I just don't have the focus to sit down and read right now. And I haven't the whole quarantine. Like, I'll try to read a book and I'll get like a few chapters in and then that's kind of it. So hopefully, you know, I can kind of focus and get that done because I I do kind of want to see what's going to happen just so I can expect it. But at the same time, I kind of like going into this show not knowing exactly what's going on because I feel like I can enjoy it more because I'm not yeah. expecting it to hold to canon you know well the books the books are very they're the same but they're very different in tone and pace and you just got to get through them okay I mean I've I've got the first book down book two and three I'm hesitant from book three because I want to see season two before I read book three okay. but it 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 made me mad because I'm like, well, they put more in the TV series than the books, <laughs> you know. But I also know that book two is going to be good. Okay. Well, that's a good thing. So, any final thoughts? Um, I have I, in my notes. I have I have the word I have Baldwin written down, but I forgot where he was mentioned. Baldwin. Yeah, and he's and he's in he's in he's in the series for like a few episodes. You mean the you mean the black no. librarian? No, no, no. Baldwin. Oh, that Baldwin. Baldwin. Oh, Baldwin. oh, okay. yeah. Okay. Gabriel tells I think Domenico that they need to make sure Baldwin didn't find out. Oh, Bob Baldwin's the guy that that he didn't want in his business, right? Right. Okay. So no. he's he's gonna be he's gonna be that's yeah, gonna be that. interesting to see that develop. Maybe he's um, a rival or something. Yeah. No, I remember. I remember now. Okay. Also, I I can't do it like Anthony does, but I have a theory. <clears throat> I have a theory. <laughs> um, is I'm I'm looking at Domenico. I haven't seen it, so I know y'all have seen it and read the books and da da da. But I feel like Domenico is either he is or he's going to become a familiar for um Gorbert for Gerbert. I'm sorry. Let me let me pronounce his name for him. I took I took eight years of French. I need this moment. Give me Gerbert I feel like he's 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 his he's gonna be he's trying to be his familiar or he he acts like a familiar because he's giving me like the the vibes from Blade Two with with um. Where what's his, what's his name? Who's in Walking Dead? Was this familiar? Was this dude's familiar? Oh, and he's getting blown up. Yeah, Daryl was, and he got blown up. But that's that's the vibe. That's kind of the vibe that he's giving me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's all I have. And I can't wait to see Diane Diana when she actually has more control of her powers. Either a she gets control of her powers, or b she just lets her powers go. I'm trying. I, I can't wait to see the extent to what to how powerful she is and i can't wait to see how 
how Alex Kingston fits into this. I wish he was in this episode. She's so damn fine. The, I'm sorry. The, what, what was I saying? <laughs> the main, the main thing, like for me at this point, the second episode was, was I, I want to know what makes Dan special. I want to know why she is so special. What makes her so powerful? Mm-hmm. What makes her her? Why did the book come to her? Those were the questions I had. That's right. why I kept watching because I wanted to know. Yeah. I think it has, I think maybe it has a little bit to do with her bloodline, like the fact that she's a direct descendant of one of the I mean, we know that. I'm just saying, I need someone to say it actually. Oh. Okay. Or is she, high, or is she, is she a hybrid? I need confirmation. Or is she a crossbreed? Like, is she, is she like part vampire, part vampire, part witch, part demon, part witch? Like, is she, is there something of, or is she like, or is she like the, is she like the perfect witch where she has like some, some demon blood, some vampire blood in her, but she's like a full witch. So she has like a little bit of all powers. Without without dabbling into dark powers like Knox did, and I can't wait to see. I can't, I can't, can't wait to see Knox get his not get his block blown off. Yeah. Why that. why did the book choose her? Like yeah. th- those are the questions. Right. I want. There's that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That that's enough to keep me interested. Okay. Well, that is it for our show. You can find us online at www.fandomhybrid.com. We are on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Fandom Hybrid. You can also listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other major podcast streaming platforms. Thanks for listening. We hope you join the conversation next time. Bye.